As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to What is Going Om for new thought from the edge of Om. Each week on Om Time's flagship radio show, veteran broadcaster, author, and media consultant Sandy Sedgbeer conducts thought provoking interviews with inspirational authors, artists, musicians, scientists, speakers, and filmmakers who are working at the point where spirituality and science meet consciousness at the very edge of Om. Here is your host, Sandy Sedgbeer. Hello. Listen to this quote. Our deepest and most powerful human yearning is for connection, for sex, for love, for all that gives pleasure and meaning to our lives. Yet sexual violence is commonplace, and the war of the sexes continues to perpetuate misunderstanding and pain. Why does this struggle persist? What can we do to reclaim our innate power to give and receive pleasure and to find meaning in our lives? That short passage was taken from a book that was published 24 years ago, a book which I've only got to read in the past two weeks, but which, in my experience, I would label as the most important book I've ever read. And believe me, I've read a lot of books in my life. It's also a book which, as has become evident over the past few years, seems to have been growing more relevant with each passing year. The book is Sacred Pleasure, Sex, Myth and the Politics of the Body, New Paths to Power and Love, by cultural historian, social systems scientist, and best-selling author of The Chalice and the Blade, Dr. Rian Eisler. Dr. Eisler joins me now to discuss the truths about sex that have been swept under the rug of religious dogma and scientific jargon. The sexual myths that have corrupted male-female relationships over the millennia. How and why domination and violence have been eroticized and even sanctified and how sexuality is constructed differently in a partnership or dominator society. And most important of all, how we can construct a society in which the unfolding of our higher selves through physical and spiritual union can be socially supported instead of distorted and repressed. Dr. Rian Eisler, welcome back to the show. And it's a pleasure to be with you, Sandy. Honestly, it's an honor for me, Rianne. I really enjoyed our last conversation on nurturing our humanity. But after reading this book, I am, you know, there's no other word for it but the British one. I hope everybody understands it. I'm completely gobsmacked because <laughs> <laughs> this book really, I, I wasn't aware of all of the history that you unfold here and exactly what has happened to us over the centuries. But to, to those who are unfamiliar with the history you share, and I'm sure that's a lot of people, it really is a deeply shocking and incredibly enlightening book. Brave, gutsy, really comprehensive. It expertly outlines how and why we are where we are today. So. It's going to be hard to condense 
the things that we want to discuss into one hour. But if you could just give us uh, a brief overview of humanity's course from prehistory, when sex was a celebrated mystery linked to all that's sacred, to when sex became a means of domination and control, and explain how and why that occurred. Well, uh, that's quite a tall order, but I it will is. Uh, do my best. Uh, in my uh, first book, drawing from my multidisciplinary cross-cultural research, as you know, the chalice and the blade, um, I introduced two configurations that are not part of our language yet. Uh, one is the partnership model, and the other one is the dominator or domination model. And what sacred pleasure then does is it traces really the cultural transformation from a prehistory, a human prehistory, that oriented more to the partnership end of the partnership domination scale to one that was actually... Uh, became a very, very brutal uh, domination or dominator system, uh, and how both sexuality and spirituality were absolutely transformed with the focus from one of the giving and sharing of pleasure, whether it's sexual pleasure or sharing food, etc., to, well, uh, what you've alluded to, to... Uh, using sexuality and spirituality to really impose and maintain a domination system. And sex, uh, as you said, changed from being this mystery because the ancients did understand that it was the sexual union of female and male that produced life, uh, to becoming uh, really a way uh, that, well, they're, they're conflicting stories. I mean, one is the Christian story, for example, uh, but it goes much further back, actually, uh, that sex somehow is bad, and especially woman, right, a temptress, to what mm -hmm. uh, I've called the erotization of domination and violence, the linking of sex, uh, with domination and violence. And it's really a fascinating story because uh, in the process, the focus was more and more on pain so that the ancient sacred marriage, and we see images of it way back already uh, 10,000 years ago uh, in, uh, well, for example, a figurine, a fresco from Chakalhuyak of a woman and a man uh, in embrace and next to them the woman with a child, uh, all the way to the hymns of Inanna in, in Sumer, uh, it, it becomes now, instead of the sacred marriage between female and male, it becomes the uh, marriage between a church headed by a punitive deity and male uh, priests. I mean, it's, it, the whole thing is, became really pathological, and that's what we're trying to sort of reverse now. You know, like many people, I, my knowledge of history only went back so far, and I used to believe, until I read your book, that it, it was religion that changed all this. But as you've just explained, it goes far further back than that. What was it that you know, created this change? What happened? Well, there are several theories about it. Uh, one theory is that it was a massive technological change, the shift to agriculture. But uh, at least in, in Europe, uh, there's another theory that was introduced by the archaeologist Maria Gimbutas. And there's a great deal of evidence, including most recently DNA evidence, supporting the theory that actually, as I write in Sacred Pleasure, it was incursions by nomadic herders uh, 
who brought with them this domination system in which basically both women and cattle were, quote, domesticated, in other words, used. And the DNA evidence is very interesting because there is evidence now that the original population of uh, what Gimbutas calls Old Europe, the Balkan area in particular, where she she, she came from that area, um, she uh, uh, said that, you know, you see this incredible shift, like, for example, in burial practices, where suddenly you begin to see uh, so-called sati graves with a large male skeleton and sacrificed women, children, and horses, because these Indo-European invaders brought, the, they're called Indo-Europeans or Kurgans, uh, is what Gimbutas called them, brought the horse. Um, from uh, you know these these completely different burials, um, and the disappearance also of female figurines, uh, which even the archaeologist Gordon Child, who idealized the Indo-Europeans, noted, you know, but the DNA evidence now shows that the original population was practically wiped out. In other words, new DNA. Mm-hmm. Mm. which seems to support this theory. And I took it in sacred pleasure a little bit further to actually connect it with technology because when we shifted from foraging, and as you know, uh, in my most recent book, Nurturing Our Humanity, which I co-wrote with anthropologist uh, uh, Gordon, I mean, not Gordon, I mean Douglas Fry, uh, who's really an expert on foraging societies, we lived in more partnership-oriented societies for millennia. Uh, But in The Chalice and the Blade and in Sacred Pleasure, I actually uh, really talked about societies that were the first uh, agricultural societies, agrarian societies like Chatalhuyak. And what what we see is uh, that uh, the... In the, in the more fertile areas of the globe, uh, where farming was possible, the shift from foraging to agriculture didn't produce, at least not at the beginning, this dramatic shift to a domination system, but that in the more arid areas of our globe, where you know the soil was not would not support farming, the shift was to herding. And these are the people who, according to Gimbutas' theory, uh, and according to, as I said, quite a bit of evidence, brought this dominator uh, domination system with them. And gradually, as I write, well, uh, reality was really stood on its head. And this was not only done through armed conquest, but through a massive, massive remissing a changing of the stories by which we live. And this, you know, we talk about the domestication of women, we talk about the control of women. What often isn't mentioned, but your book, I mean, it's a very fair book, um, also talks about how men suffered too, because it began to dehumanise them and their sexuality became distorted and stunted. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because um, the psychologist uh, uh, Reich uh, spoke about Mm. the suppression of sexuality, but male sexuality wasn't suppressed. Women's was, Uh, you know, in the extreme with genital mutilation, which is still practiced in, unfortunately, on millions of girls every year in some parts of our world. Uh, you know, where worlds are basically the clitoris is cut off, the uh, labia are, are sewn together. I mean, it's, it's grisly. It, it really is horrible. Uh, but with men, something else happened, and it was really uh, men uh, were never suppressed sexually, but as you said, their sexuality was really distorted in that it became, uh, through all of these stories, we're very familiar with them, you know, like uh, the hero 
kills the opponent or kills the dragon and he gets to mate, right? So it's always associated with violence, isn't it? And even, of course, in pornography we see today how instead of the giving and receiving of mutual pleasure, sexuality becomes uh, really a form of domination. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, and the good news, of course, are movements like the Me Too movement, right? Uh, the fact that we're beginning to uh, really talk about this erotization of domination uh, is very important, isn't it? It's really important. But the thing, you know, the thing that... I think really opened my eyes is when we start looking at suppressing sexuality, eroticizing violence, things like that, what it does to the human psyche, what it does to the men who begin to lose touch with their own feelings. And then it becomes so much easier for them to dehumanize women, <laughs> to see them as, you know, cattle to see them as something you know to be used and dominated and um you know that whole culture of domination control you know dominating fathers creating dominating sons who then go on you know to create you know more dominators um you know words fail me i i found myself so shocked reading some of these facts in your book, that it, it's just like, my goodness, you know, what have we done to ourselves? Well, it, uh, we really um, have to understand our history. And I found it, I mean, writing this book was, people tell me reading it is, as you said, a series of aha experiences. Uh, because, uh, it, it, you know, I mean, it was really an amazing journey going back to the ancient, really ancient carvings of the sacred marriage, like the Gumanita lovers, for example, from the Balkans, and then the hymns of Inanna uh, in the first cuneiform tablets found in uh, Sumer, uh, where it's, it's, sex is still associated, first of all, with the power of the Mother Earth of the Great Goddess to give life and presumably through sex to renew life. So there seems to have been a belief system in which sex was associated with rebirth after death. We don't know whether it was literal rebirth or spiritual rebirth, but the stories are very clear, like in the hymns of Inanna, not only do you have, and it's fascinating to read these, uh, and they should be part of, our, of the curriculum, but of course they're not. Uh, you know, we, we are given, uh, well, that's, that's another story, you know, how 
women and children are simply not considered important enough, right, to be mm. part of our story, uh, of our history, of prehistory, when in fact uh, they played a major role. I mean, but it was a shift from this belief in, uh, you know, birth, I mean, sex, birth, death, and rebirth to this terrible story, uh, you know, of, of, of a hell, really, of a one-way ticket to either heaven or hell, uh, and the destination depending on how much you obeyed this punitive deity and uh, his uh, lords here on earth, right, you know, whether it was the popes or whoever. I mean, in the hymns of Inanna, the, it's already in historic times, and you already have kingship. But the king still derives his power from having sexual relations with the high priestess as a representative of the goddess. Yeah. Uh, it's a fascinating history, isn't it? It's a very fascinating history. I'm going to hold you there, Liana, because we have to go to break now. You're listening to What Is Going On. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer. My guest today is best-selling author Dr. Rianne Eisler. We're talking about her book, Sacred Pleasure, Sex, Myth, and the Politics of the Body, New Paths to Power and Love. We'll be back with more after the break. The future of Internet radio is here. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose, to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free. AscendingHearts.com More than 24 million Americans have an autoimmune disorder, and that number continues to grow. I'm Sharon Saylor, and I'm one of those 24 million. To put that number in perspective, cancer affects about 9 million and heart disease up to 22 million. That's why I've brought together top experts and those thriving regardless of their diagnosis to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information. Join me, Sharon Saylor, Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, for the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio to find out how to live your life uninterrupted. I'm Fidel Mshombo. I was born in a city called the Bukavu in the Congo. We were a loving family. And then, boom, everything that I had disappeared in a single day. People think that when you are a refugee and they resettle you to America, and all your problems are done. They don't understand that that's the beginning of everything. I was not born a refugee. I was made one. It's time we welcome refugee families with open arms. Learn more at EmbraceRefugees.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back. Dr. Rianne Eisler, in your chapter, Bondage or Bonding, Sex, Spirituality and Repression, you wrote that for much of your life you had practically no consciousness of any connection between sexual and political repression much less of how stereotypical gender roles that distort both sex and spirituality can habituate us to domination. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I really had no consciousness, you know. I, as you know, my background, aside from being in sociology and system science, I also have a degree uh, as an attorney. And when I was working, uh, in my first job out of law school, uh, the senior partner of the firm called me in one day, and he wanted to compliment me on having done a good job, and he said to me, you don't think like a woman. And I thought it was a compliment instead of the insult that it is. Um, I mean, and I didn't really wake up um, as if from a long, drugged sleep. Um, I just... Like so many people, I took it for granted, you know, that, well, that's just how it was. That's just how it is. So uh, having woken up, of course, uh, was really a very important part of my research and continues to be 
because my research looks at our story, doesn't it, rather than mm-hmm. just his story to use, you know, the not so um, difficult to decipher language. Language keeps us trapped, doesn't it? It does keep us trapped, yes. And so do myths in some respects. Well, the myths very much do keep us trapped because we, uh, I mean, look at the myths we are taught about um, sex, for example. Uh, You know, I mean, either it's dirty um, or, you know, pollutes us through woman, right? I mean, St. Augustine, who is venerated, had this bizarre theory that original sin is, you know, this construct that we're innately evil, which is totally crazy. Uh, you know, as I detail in, in my new book, the you know, nurturing our humanity, if anything, our default is towards sharing and caring, and neuroscience shows that. But according to him, uh, we are doomed uh, to uh, because the original sin every time that there is sex uh, and we are of course the products of sex right we're born that way uh, we are tainted with original sin but then there's the other story and that's just as pernicious and really uh, you know in sacred pleasure I I write about the sexual revolution and I write about how part of it was, you know, sex wasn't something you used to talk about, okay? I mean, it was dirty, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You don't you don't mention it. But, and that part was good and also, you know, of course, the pill and family planning for women. But unfortunately, part of what has been considered a sexual revolution was actually a sexual counter-revolution, which was the scoring, right? You know, the hookup culture. That's the old male model, scoring rather than caring. I have a chapter in Sacred Pleasure, as you know, called From Scoring to Caring. And fortunately, Mm -hmm. uh, part of the men's movement today is recognizing that. But you asked me about the political implications, and they're huge. They're huge because if we associate uh, power over uh, to dominate, to control, uh, with with you know, I mean, power, power over is not the only power. There's also power to you know our creative power and power with. Uh, but power over is constantly reinforced by linking the pleasure we get from sex uh, with controlling others. And it's not coincidental that uh, cultures as varied as Hitler, Germany, or Khomeini's Iran, or uh, the Taliban, it's always the sexual suppression and sort of emphasizing the danger of woman, right? Yes. Well, isn't that what Reich says? These are patterns we have become aware of. Yeah, yeah. And but as you point out in the book, I mean, you look at some of the, uh, you know, the medieval priests and uh, nuns and who were so repressed and they used to flagellate themselves and and believe that pain made them holier. And as you say, many of them were actually mentally, because of that, mentally quite sick. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we know that the most, any living organism seeks pleasure and tries to avoid pain. And here we are with the whole medieval clerical culture where people talk about the ecstasy of pain. I mean, the really the sharing, the giving and receiving of pleasure, whether it's sharing food and other resources, whether it's sharing uh, the, you know, the sexuality, the pleasure, it's very much based on pleasure. Of course there's pain, you know, there are hurricanes, there are fires, there's illness, there's death, but it isn't like it's needed to maintain the system, whereas in domination systems, pain or the fear of pain is what really holds these top-down rankings, be it man over man, man over woman, 
race over race, religion over religion. It, it, it is the cement. And exposing this, and really, as the academics like to say, unpacking this, is very freeing because we see that it doesn't have to be this way. And that, it, it, you know, so many people today are, I mean, look, the, the orgasm is a spiritual experience, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you point out, you know, um, sexuality is a help in our quest for higher consciousness. Right. It can be. And there's still remnants of that, for example, in tantric yoga. But yes. with the taking over of the Indo-Europeans, in, not only did we get the Indian caste system and the untouchables, which were probably remnants of the earlier population who weren't completely wiped out, but you also uh, get rigid male. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dominance. So the whole tantric yoga, the older writings, I mean, some of the newer writings are different, are about the man using the intercourse with the woman as a means to spiritual enlightenment, which is a little nuts, you know? <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it beggars belief, really, if you think about it, that an activity that is so fundamental to our existence right. has become so demonized and twisted. Well, and pornography today, of course, is... Uh, and the whole hookup culture, I mean, how many young women are seduced by that model and then find it totally unsatisfactory? I'm advisor to a woman who's writing her Ph.D. thesis on that, who's interviewed a lot of women. And, you know, I mean, people, women in particular, because they haven't been socialized to suppress their self. You know, men do get some emotions. They get anger and contempt, you know, in domination systems. Uh, mm. and, and, you know, that angry sense of entitlement, right, of sexual entitlement. Yes. I mean, that's, that's an emotion. But it's not satisfying to have sex, which is just... Well, you know that in Sacred Pleasure, I actually introduce an ethic for intimate relations, even if it is uh, not a long-term relationship. But there has to be a respect for the other persons as, as, as a human right, really. Absolutely. Whether it's in heterosexual Absolutely. or homosexual sexuality. And, mm. you know, you're making me think so much about the book because you, I just thought of the chapter I have on ancient Greece, the reign of the phallus, and how... I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, they yeah. were all into uh, homosexuality, but only, only between an older man and a youth. 
Yes. Just as yes. the Mamelukes were, the samurai were, these warrior societies, where the youth took the subordinate role of the woman. But they so despised mm-hmm. women in these societies uh, that, you know, homosexuality became much more prevalent. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's really crazy, isn't it? What it is crazy. To themselves. It is. Yes, exactly. You say in the book that, you know, sex is an innate, indeed, indispensable human activity, but sexual attitudes and practices are learned, and that how we view ourselves, how we view our body, how our sexuality is shaped, are all conditioned processes which happen in childhood, in the family. Say say a bit more about that, because this is the crux of it. This is where we have to change it. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, some of the chapters I talk about how masturbation was considered uh, terrible, you know, giving yourself pleasure. Well, kids, mm. children do that naturally. And, you know, to suppress that and to associate it with evil, with sin, is, again, as you said, um, pathological. But it say about humans? Beg your pardon? Sorry, you you continue. No, no, no. I'll address my question. I was going to say, what does it say about humans that we are so easily conditioned, that our minds are so easily overtaken, well, it that we can be corrupted in this way. See, the thing is this, and I, as you know, I detail that process in Nurturing Our Humanity. We yes. today know from neuroscience that our brains are not fully formed when we're born. I mean, we've known this for a long time. But that they actually develop in interaction with our environments. And for us humans, the main environment, of course, is cultural, as mediated through various institutions. The family, religion, education, politics, economics, etc. So when children are, this is why story, why myth is so important, because we expose children to these Ideas, these pathological ideas, these untrue ideas, these lies about humans very early on before our brains are fully formed, much less our critical faculties. So, uh, you know, there's so much in this book, I mean, about the fairy tales we're told, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. we're a good old... Um, uh, you know, I mean, Sleeping Beauty can't even wake up without a man waking her up, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on, talk about, you know, learned helplessness here, but we teach it to kids. And, of course, this whole emphasis on, uh, you know, the prince in Cinderella wanting, I mean, aside from her being such a drudge and all of that, and, and, and really romanticizing that, making her this heroine um, when, in fact, she was a doormat. But but also the prince gain, getting the prettiest woman, you know, as a possession, right, as his bride. I mean, the whole thing is, um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, as I, as I write in uh, Sacred Pleasure, uh, we are beginning to change some of the stories, and that's the good part. We're even beginning to change some of the fairy tales. And even Disney is having, you know, they're still skinny and, uh, you know, what have you, sort of a, a, a creature of male. Stereotypes. Yeah, stereotypes. But at least they're powerful in the sense that they're not passive. I mean, that's no, that, that's but they still. Forward. Even if they're powerful, they're still, you know, looking for that relationship that always seems to be a little bit, you know, have the domination culture within it. You know, I'm not complete until I've got my man. Yeah, and that's true. And uh, 
you know, but I I think that when when you said how did we do this to ourselves, it took a long long time for the myths to change. Remember how I I I, I gave the example of of the goddess Bridget, the Irish Irish mm-hmm. deity, yes. and then she becomes Saint Bridget, and then she has a sex <laughs> change, right? And she becomes a male saint. But, I mean, all of this took time, that remissing process. Or the devil, the Christian devil, uh, you know, the story that we're told about Thesos and the Minotaur. Uh, Actually, the Minotaur was the old bull god. Uh, Yes. But he later became the hoofed and horned devil. And the Theseus myth is the remissing of that story, which is what we're told, you know, where the Minotaur becomes the villain and Theseus, who kills the Minotaur, becomes... And you still have a sacred marriage between the male principle, you know, the bull god, and the queen, the goddess, right? Yes. But it becomes a terrible, abnormal... Uh, You know, I mean, it really was standing the old reality on its head. But, you know, I want to say something. If you remember, I talk about mysticism in sacred pleasure. And I have this theory that one of the reasons that mysticism is, well, so hard to understand (laughs) is because it started actually as the old uh, religion, the old stories going underground. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, of course, the Shekinah is still there in the Kabbalah, but she is no longer the, the goddess. She is just wisdom, right? Yes. So yeah. over, the, over yeah. time, even those stories became, or the Sophia, you know, the Greek word for wisdom. Uh, the traces are there. We just have it's to, all there if we look for it, yeah. And, and yeah. I think that sacred pleasure, in some ways, is a kind of a uh, a, a roadmap to deciphering and reclaiming. It is a roadmap, indeed, exactly. We'll come back with more from Leanne Eisler after the break. Edge of Conscious Radio, Om Times Radio, IOM FM. Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. Om Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single Om Times endeavor. Host your show with Om Times Radio Network. Hello, I'm Lisa Berry. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for Light on Living. A chance to see new, hear different, and feel more as I shine the spotlight on all the ways to lighten the load of life's challenges. Light on Living is your link to that new way you're looking for, that new understanding that will enhance your life, and that positive connection that will support your growth. So join me and you'll gain insight and start to see things in a new way that motivates you. Imagine being fired because of who you love. Imagine being denied medical treatment because of who you marry. Imagine being evicted because of who you are. Millions of Americans don't have to imagine this. They have to live it. Because in 31 states, it's legal to discriminate against LGBT people. Get the facts at beyondido.org. Brought to you by the Gill Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Dr. Rianne Eisler. Sacred pleasure lays out the foundation for a healing between the sexes that could dramatically transform society. You wrote that in 1995 which was 24 years ago. And as we're seeing on the world stage, certain things and attitudes, um, you know, polarizing, um, it would appear that the battle of the sexes is still raging. 
and the steering wheels of the sexual revolution bus do seem in many tightly controlled conservative cultures and locations to be driving backwards, not forward. Do you think that we have made much progress, really? I think we have. And I, because I don't look at uh, our human history as linear, obviously, we for millennia moved in a partnership direction. Then there was this time of great upheaval, and we saw the imposition of the domination model at first really through just brute force, but also then gradually through the stories, through a whole new world view. But over the last several hundred years, we've had one social movement after another challenging traditions of domination. I mean, think about it, all the way from the so-called rights of man movement, challenging the so-called divinely ordained right of kings to rule, the feminist movement challenging the so-called divinely ordained right of men to rule, the civil rights or the anti-colonial uh, uh, abolitionist movements challenging, again, you know, domination of one race over another, all the way to the uh, environmental movement challenging man's once hallowed conquest of nature, which could do us in at our level of technology guided by an ethos of domination, of course. But the point of it is it did not touch the areas that I incorporate so I can show the relationship between how sexuality and spirituality are culturally constructed, how gender roles and relations are sexually constructed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. How. Uh, childhood parenting, et cetera, is, is constructed socially, as well as pop, and how that all relates to politics and economics. So, yes, if we look at the fact that we're in the midst of a regression to domination in many world regions, that is true. But at the same time, the movement towards partnership is still going on. And that's, that's the struggle for our future, isn't it? And it is not only, uh, I mean, I, it, I discovered, you know, I, I realized that while regressives get it, you know, that these things are fundamental and they must be based on domination, on male dominance, you know, like Mr. Trump uh, and, and the hearings right now, it's all mm-hmm. about being, you know, a real man and trying to call Schiff, you know, who's the head of the congressional hearings, effeminate, and it's really, he's he's really whistleblowing, isn't he, about what (laughs) is so often today called toxic masculinity, the masculinity as defined in domination systems. But there's also the Me Too movement. There's there's a lot going on. There's the movement to change child-rearing practices, child-rearing, again, you know, it's, it's a term that yeah, you know, parenting, caring for yes. children. Uh, even the American Psychological Association finally said that not only is spank- spanking ineffective, but it's harmful. Uh, so a lot is happening, and that's the struggle for our future, and it's within our conventional social categories, like right, left, religious, secular, eastern, western, northern, southern. And if we could just start using this new language and this new lens for looking at societies, we can see that we must build the foundations. And yeah, changing our thinking, our attitudes, as you said, about sexuality as well as spirituality, because they're really both were transformed, weren't they? Uh, It's very, very important. 
It is important. It is critical, actually. I mean, more than critical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what the next level beyond that is, but it's it's fundamental to our future. And you laid out a blueprint in um, Sacred Pleasure for the future of partnership, sexuality, spirituality. Yes. yes. And I, look, I love that Tell us idea. more about that. Well, because I think I called the last chapter the new... Eves and Adams. Yes. And uh, really, that old story, of course, of how Eve sought wisdom from a serpent, right? Which is really an amazing story, unless we realize that the serpent was also in the old religion a symbol of oracular prophecy, like still, uh, you know, in 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 the so-called uh, Oracle of Delphi. They worked with the Python, the Python is the priestess. So we have the pieces. We don't want to go back to any quote, good old days. But we, it's with, with the pieces that we have, we can reconstruct uh, sexuality and spirituality in a way that focuses I mean, so many of our sacred images, for example, are still focused on either the suffering or the inflicting of pain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And we don't have even birthing. I mean, in the old iconography, the goddess giving birth was a sacred image. And we see that, you know, pregnancy is no longer something to be hidden from children, Right. So, yes, there has been movement forward, but what's been lacking is that frame. Uh, and the frame shows the importance of our primary human relations. And that's what I'm uh, really working so hard in my research, my speaking, uh, keynoting conferences, and my books. And I'm just delighted that um, that you found it such a transformative book because I love this book Sacred Pleasure oh I honestly I've just been buried in it like I've never been buried in a book before um, tell me what what would it be like if we were to construct uh, you know the partnership society that is so necessary. You know, how how will it redefine our politics, our relationships, our parenting? Can you paint us a picture of that? Well, I think it really does start with, as you said, childhood and gender. Because, for example, it would be a, a society in which pleasure, but not hedonistic uh, in the sense of selfish and and, and at all costs, having pleasure even if it hurts someone else, but pleasure in the in, in well in the caring connection that you started to talk about, we have those caring connections, which are so blocked by the domination system between parents and children, uh, between women and men, between even uh, homosexual partners, because of the old roles, aren't they? So, for one thing, both women and men would really be honored for caring for children, and the caring would be authoritative rather than authoritarian, and it certainly would be nonviolent. But both would also be able to pursue their own personal development. Uh, you know, my wonderful partner, David Loy, wrote a poem. Uh, at the <laughs> the You're reading chapter. my mind. <laughs> Yes, you want uh, to read it? I've got it open in front of me. Please I was almost it. going to, I was going to write to you and say you should read this. Well, I don't um, have the book open, but if you have it open, please read it. Well, I don't know if I could do as good a job uh, as you might, but um, yes, um, just tell us, you know, about the, the, dream, the dream you, you know, what led up to that particular poem, and then I'll read it. Okay. Well, what led up to that particular poem was, of course, the archetypal story of Adam and Eve, right? Where uh, it, 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 it has some elements of the old reality. As I said, Eve seeks uh, wisdom from a serpent because the serpent was 
a symbol of oracular wisdom. And yes, she is still the conduit for that. But then the story gets twisted because a woman is no longer, neither woman or man, for that matter, humans, are no longer to, permitted to seek knowledge for themselves. Uh, that's, you know, you, you have to think. I mean, it's the prototypical authoritarian fable, mm-hmm. isn't it? Don't even think for yourself. You have to only think yes. as I tell you to think. And, of course, wait, blaming woman for nothing less than, quote, humanity's fall is a magnificent piece of dominator propaganda, isn't it? Yes. So mm. so now here was David's uh, envisioning of how that would have changed. Mm. Okay. I had a terrible dream, she said. You're safe, he murmured, cradling her. No, it was terrible, she said. I cannot sleep. I still see that glorious garden, the birds, the fruits, the clear streams with pebbles of agate and the trance-like wandering of green fish. And you were there, and for a time it was good. But then this terrifying old man came and told me I must not think for myself. And soon a snake came and said, he laughed, a talking snake? Don't laugh, please don't laugh, she shuddered. This was so real, more real than now, much more, much more. The snake offered me a brain and mind, and when I took them, the old man came rushing in, his eyes exploding, his mouth aghast and cursing with hurricane force, he threw us from the garden. And you blamed me, she cried, and in a world of misery, we fought for 5,000 years. The sun touched the window sill, touched her hair. He touched the gold along her neck and back, and sighing, she rolled over, and for a long time they held each other. Then she rose. Come see, she called, joyous beside the window. In poured the full glory of the morning, the copper gold of sky, the far-off crowing, the clear, muted laughter along the river the light, cool fragrance in from the fields. It will be a good day, he said, smiling. And night, she said. For years, they both thought. For years and years. That was a beautiful way to end the book. I love that poem, and I have to say that my partnership is my second uh, marriage um, it, it, yeah partnership is just so much more pleasurable <laughs> than uh, trying to feel <laughs> domination relationships and David is and a marvelous poet and he's now 94 years old and he just finished writing a book for children called Grandfather's Garden which by the way if I may would make a wonderful holiday gift, not only for children, but for grown-ups who really love whimsy, because it's a very whimsical set of stories about all kinds of strange creatures, including the carrot who wanted to be a speedboat racer, if you can imagine. (laughs) Well, I think you said it, you know, when you said that partnership makes us so much happier and more joyful. Why would we not want that? Well, because in people who are socialized early on already, uh, and and really throughout all of these stories and and inner stories, for them there's only two possibilities. You either dominate or you're dominated. There is no partnership alternative. And it's our job to show that not only is there, but that we lived, I mean, not in perfect societies, for goodness sakes, but we lived that way for millennia, and that this is really what we're trying to create now. Not a matriarchy or a instead of a patriarchy, but a way in which women and men and everybody can be partners and where pleasure 
rather than pain can be the glue that holds society together. I can't think of a better way to say it, and I can't think of a better way to end this show. Dr. Rianne Eisler, thank you for writing this book. It really is something all of us should read, and thankfully, you can still get copies, and I think your publishers should republish it. Uh, well, you can get copies at Amazon. Uh, no, the book is in print. I mean, that's one thing about Oh, it is in print still. I thought... Oh, yes. Ah, oh, no, no. I thought I had to get a second coffee. No, oh, I'm, well, this is where Amazon has taken over and why not only authors are damaged because we don't get royalties, of course, but also mm. publishing houses are having a hard time yeah. Uh, because, yeah, yeah they peddle uh, used copies. Yes. No, it's still very much Absolutely. in print. Good. Good. Dr. Rianne Eisler, thank you so much for joining us today. Sacred Pleasure, Sex Myth and the Politics of the Body, New Piles to Power and Love by Rianne Eisler is still available. For more information about Rianne Eisler's work, visit centerforpartnership.org and rianneisler.com. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer. Thanks for joining me today and we'll be back again at the same time next week. Till then. It's goodbye from me. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.